nobody here has given up on theatrical. I don't think anybody in this panel and anybody out here as filmmakers shouldn't give up on theatrical. It's just how are you going to approach it? You know, these filmmakers were talking about all these industry screenings are doing and the bigger festivals, but it was really the smaller ones that they felt were making more of an impact. The fans for horror and genre product really are what drive the release for horror and genre product. So if you want to see independent horror films in a the theater, go see independent horror films in a the theater. That's how they get there. More bonus content on the Fright Club podcast, and I love it. Welcome. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. I'm back with another Fright Club that came from the recent Nightmares Film Festival in Columbus, Ohio, the film festival that we love so much. Uh, Last time out, we had a recording of the Social Progress Through Horror panel, which was fantastic and had a lot of great feedback on that. Yeah, we did. And it was really great to hear what they all had to say. And this one, I think, is is really exciting in a different way. This is about distribution, which I think is a fascinating and sometimes scary topic. Yeah, they call this one the new distribution. And at the festival, this was right, this was the very next panel Mm -hmm. after the uh, social progress through horror. So this one is moderated by Chris Hamill. Chris is the co-founder, along with Jason Tostevin, who was the moderator of the uh, social progress panel. Uh, Chris is the co-founder of Nightmares Film Festival, and he is the uh, CEO of our beloved Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. So Chris is really not only a great person to moderate this discussion, but he's got some great insight in his own right, obviously. Uh, But he's got a great panel, and he will introduce the panel, and they will talk about the new distribution and have some fantastic questions from the audience as well. So uh, another reason I've been wanting to record these panels for all these years, and it's, uh, it's nice to be getting such positive feedback about these podcasts, putting them in podcast form. So glad you like it. Hope you like this one. Enjoy the new distribution recorded live at Nightmares Film Festival. Thanks. Um, this is our sixth edition of the new distribution panel. I'm really glad you decided to join us. This panel, much like the other, if you were in the last panel, um, this is the, after doing it this many years, you would think it wouldn't be so new. But as these people who are experts in the field are about to talk about it, it feels like the distribution changes like every 15 minutes right now. So I think if you've been through this before, uh, you're going to hear new information today. A couple of ground rules before we start. Uh, Be nice to each other. This one team, be kind to these people. They volunteer to do this. If you're not, I will stop the conversation. So I still like you, but I will make you stop talking. And um, I know you will, Scott. I'm not worried about you. Uh, (laughs) Also, want to make sure you know this is being recorded. So if you're not nice, we have a record of it. I want to say thanks to George, though, behind me here, who's running sound for us today. Give George a round of applause, please. As you may know, George has done a lot of jobs at this year's film festival. Okay, um, I'm going to ask the panel to go ahead and introduce themselves. They're going to spend about 30 seconds to a minute telling you who they are, uh, what they do, and giving you a few things they're working on or have worked on before. So let's go ahead and start with Wyatt, if you don't mind, and then um, let's hear from each one of you. Hello, everybody. My name is Wyatt Olestad. I'm the director of production at MPI Media Group and Dark Sky Films. We're a production and distribution company specializing mostly in genre titles. Uh, Some of our past ones, we run the gamut from classics to contemporary. Some of our past ones are uh, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, House of the Devil, Stakeland, and recently uh, Girl on the Third Floor from a few years ago. 
And I handle uh, a little bit of everything, but most relevant to this discussion, theatrical and uh, digital distribution. Cool. Uh, my name is Aaron B. Kuntz. I'm the founder and CEO of Paper Street Pictures, and I also run a consulting company called Blood Oath, where we make scary movies less scary to make, as uh, the cheesy tagline. Uh, we've made, let's see here, as a writer-director, made about four features, and about, I've made four features. Uh, and then as a producer, we're close to about 20 features at this point. Uh, things from, we have seven or eight in post, uh, you know, Blood Relatives just played at Beyond Fest, Fantastic Fest, that's coming out soon. Uh, made the Pale Door, the Scare Package franchise, which is a franchise now, which is weird to say. And uh, yeah, a bunch of other stuff coming up. So happy to be here. Uh, I'm Bill Gensler. I am the Senior Director of Acquisitions at Gravitas Ventures uh, up in Cleveland. Uh, I have been there for a year. Uh, Gravitas has been around for about 16 years. Uh, we have a library of over 3,000 titles, many of a significant amount of them genre titles. Uh, we release uh, a ridiculous amount of films, 250 to 300 uh, titles a year. Um, and previously, I was the artistic director of the Cleveland International Film Festival. Um, and I left there after we had to cancel and turn it online. So uh, we were one of the first festivals to, to make that pivot um, from a physical festival to an online festival. So that was fun. Hi, I'm Cecily Enriquez, and I work for the Owens Group in Cincinnati. And the agency I work for, we handle the publicity and promotions for movie studios. So I handle Amazon, original films, um, Focus Features, Sony, Warner Brothers, Lionsgate, and some of the other uh, major studios. Uh, some current films I'm working on, Bones and All, which was filmed in Columbus and Cincinnati. Tar, just finished Tar with Kate Lanchette. Um, also, over the years, I've been doing my job for 20. And I've worked on several horror films. I've been here, some of you have probably seen me in the past here at the festival promoting some horror films, so. Okay. I'm Scott Donnelly, CEO at Good Deed Entertainment, Cranked Up Films. Cranked Up Films is our uh, genre division. And um, we, we distribute and we also produce. Right now, um, well, a couple films that you uh, may recognize is Nightmare Cinema is one that we produced and distributed. After Midnight is a distribution title, um, Extraordinary. Um, Loving Vincent was not a genre, but it was a, uh, it was a great film. Um, and right now we're in production on a trilogy, of what's, which is called Fresh Hell has three films. Our head of production and development, Phil Garrett, is in the crowd also, so he, uh, everybody knows Phil. But um, yeah, so we're, uh, we're deep into the horror segment. Thank you, guys. So there's gonna be lots of questions for you, but I'm gonna get it started. Scott, I'm gonna ask you to talk first, if you don't mind. Talk about the impact of COVID-19, talk about the impact of streaming channels, and if you would, or if you think it's relevant, also talk about the impact of diminishing box office grosses and how it might have impacted your business? Uh, well, I think I can start off with one title um, that was the biggest impact, was Extraordinary. We had released that right, I can't remember the exact date, but it was around the beginning of March in 2020. So this is right about the time that COVID was uh, ramping up. And we had we had about two weeks under our belt and this was a big rollout film it had um, 
um, Will Forte in it, and it, it was really getting ahead of steam. And within that period of time, you know, we, we were expecting a several million dollar box office on this film, just to let you know where we were in our, on our estimations. Anyway, the, that one week, and I, I blocked a lot of it out of it in my mind because <laughs> it was, I can't give exact dates now, but uh, that is when all the theaters started shutting down. And um, needless to say, it was, it was a casualty of that. Now, one of the things we did do is uh, we went right to, uh, we didn't go to streaming with it. What we tried to do is we did a virtual uh, theatrical. So we were one of the first ones that started getting involved in the virtual theatrical of releasing them uh, so that you could watch them at home and calling them virtual theatrical and so forth. Now, it, it didn't do near what it would have done. It's done very well on streaming and, and transactional and so forth. But uh, that, was, that was a definite casualty that we were involved in with that. Now, that being said, you know, theaters are making a comeback. I mean, I can't speak to the actual theater business per se. Chris obviously would uh, know more about that, but from our end of it as independent distributor, we've noticed a lot more, um, I think what we're seeing is the studio films are starting to do pretty well. People are starting to be very careful with what they're spending money right now, it seems like. And that being because, you know, obviously gas is about four bucks a gallon. Food has skyrocketed. I mean, chicken's three times the price what it was. <laughs> but I, I think people are being a little more cautious of what they're spending. And if they're going to a theater, they're picking and choosing what they're going to spend their hard-earned dollars on. So, you know, it's, it's an independent film that we really don't know cast we don't know what it is, or do you go to a studio film that they have an A-list cast route that everybody knows of, and they're gonna drop their money that way. Um, the, from a streaming standpoint, people are still doing it. Um, AVOD's work is, has become a highlight in a lot of things, uh, which is your advertising um, video on demand. And, um, it's, it, you know, it's hard because you're competing, everybody's competing for the same eyeballs, it seems like, and there's a lot more um, content out there. And when I say a lot more, there's short form, there's Facebook, there's Instagram, there's TikTok, there's et cetera, that people start getting sucked into and then, you know, they're not going on to anything else. But it's still positive, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you know, we're still going at it, we're making films, we're distributing films. Uh, I don't want to be a, a, a downer on this because there is, there is a market out there. Wyatt, so. what about you? Same, same question. You know, what ha what's happening? How's COVID-19, box office grosses, um, how are those things affecting your business? So, uh, you know, we had pretty much the same issue with as uh, our theatrical campaigns were ramping up during the, at the start of the pandemic, the theaters themselves were closing. And as a result, uh, you know, we had to switch to uh, streaming a lot of times ourselves and virtual cinema. One of the main things, though, that the pandemic really has caused is just a lack of film product that's out there. There weren't as many productions happening. And thankfully now, you know, that's kind of gone back into, uh, if not full force, then close to what it was before. So we're finally seeing, you know, a steady 
uh, input of uh, films being made. And on the theatrical front, you know, it's been a struggle for the last two years to find something that works on a, for a theatrical release. However, I will also say that, you know, the, the fans for horror and genre product really are what drive the release for horror and genre product. So if you want to see independent horror films in a theater, go see independent film, horror films in a theater. That's how they get there. And I think that, you know, like we've seen, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about the big blockbusters, you know, dominating the box office and the indies kind of falling by the wayside. But with horror films in particular, it is such a fan-driven industry that basically the fans control where those films ultimately get released. So if they are showing up to the theater, you'll see independent horror films in the theater again. And I'm hopeful that, you know, with the lack of box office uh, grosses for a lot of independent films suggests to me, it suggests to me that there is, you know, a opportunity and a desire for independent films to come back because I think they're fostering communities now where there weren't before. And it's almost going back to the old days of, you know, the local movie palace or the local movie house where it's not so much people going into the theater just to see whatever's on screen, it's people getting together before going to the theater and deciding we are going to make an event out of this. So I'd like to see that continue and I'm hopeful that it will continue and get bigger next year. Anybody else on the panel want to answer that question? Aaron, Bill, Cicely, what can you add? Um, so definitely being in theatrical marketing, um, COVID, you know, we took a huge hit, um, but it was basically trying to learn the new way to market a film without the theater because we would screen films in advance. So we started doing some drive-in screenings uh, once the theaters did open because we still had to show the film ahead of time and build a word of mouth. So we started doing some drive-in screenings. We were doing virtual screenings. Um, but to me, I actually had this conversation with somebody the other day. It was like, you go to the theater for the experience and you, you know, you go see a horror film and you scream and you jump and you laugh and all of those feelings you have with a crowd. And we were talking after one of my screenings, like, like kind of to your point, we are going to start to see it get better because I think people are missing that experience when you're home streaming, you're on your device, you're not paying attention. And now I think people are feeling much more safe to go out. So I definitely think in 2023, we're definitely going to start really seeing things change. And I also feel like a lot of the independents and art house films have been pushed and held. And I think we're gonna start to probably see a lot more things being released. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, look, I think the industry is constantly changing, as we know. I was on this panel three years ago, and it's very different now than it was three years ago. And you have to look at everything as an opportunity. So it's, it's you know, we, at that time, had just, we had two films that were releasing in 2020. We didn't get a theatrical release, which we were supposed to have, like close to 1,000 theaters for The Pale Door. And that didn't happen, so we went through that. But it was, okay, yes, let's pivot. Let's do virtual screenings. Let's do the drive-ins and everything, as she was saying. But I think from a production standpoint also, we, I remember sitting there that summer and saying, there has to be a way to still get movies made. My friends don't have jobs. We don't know how to move this forward. And we made, I think it was literally the second film during all of COVID. It was a film called Revealer that was shot outside of Chicago. 
And that was super small, like, I mean, like a dozen people, non-SAC, because there weren't even protocols. And then that stuff started to move forward. Once we made that, then we were able to kind of see, oh, there are safe way forwards. And then we were consulted from, you know, IATSE and folks for the safe way forward stuff and, and, and some of that documentation and how that had to happen. So we were like, wait, this is an opportunity. And I think if we're always reacting to this and saying, oh, this is bad, what are we gonna do? Instead of saying, okay, this is how it's changing. How do I get ahead of it sooner? And then I think we had that mindset and then we just produced movie after movie after movie after movie then because people saw we could do it safely. We never had, until actually the last film, one of the last ones we produced, we didn't have a single positive you know, COVID test on anything that we happened because we created protocols and safety measures and all this because we were like, there's a way to still make movies safely. And these are all independent films. You know, I mean, the biggest budget was two and a half million all the way down to 400,000. And, and so in that whole range of film, although Revealer was actually even smaller than that. So anyway, I just, I just wanna say, I think these things are, can be opportunities, even if they're negative situations. And it's just about how we're able to look at that and how we're saying we have to change because our audience is changing and our circumstances are changing. And I'll just add where it's, I, I think, uh, you know, on behalf of a distributor is it's figuring it out. You know, that's, that's our role, you know, alongside with the, you know, with the theaters. One thing Gravitas did, it was before I started, but we, you know, when the pandemic started, Gravitas had several titles with, you know, high level cast and they were, there were plans of doing a significant, you know, theatrical release. And, you know, they, you know, they were like, wait, wait, you know, we paid a lot of money for this. We were like expecting to do this theatrical. Um, and when theater started opening up, they went ahead and did it and they were successful and it helped us you know, deepen the relationships with the theater chains and the independent theaters. And so like now when we're looking at films and wanting to do some kind of theatrical release, we have the relationships with those theaters and we're able to. So we've made the commitment. We just, you know, this this August, we had the largest release we ever had. We, we released a film on 2000 screens, um, which is insane for most companies and uh, for Gravitas, which is pretty much known as, you know, a, a, a VOD company. Um, it was it was really significant, and so uh, you know through 2023, my goal um, as the head of acquisitions is to find at least four to six of those films that we're going to do any kind of you know like between a hundred, and I don't think we're going to do two thousand again, but like a hundred and a thousand screens um, to to you know to do our part in making the theatrical experience come back. And I think that's very key. It's like nobody here has given up on theatrical. I don't think anybody in this panel and anybody out here as filmmakers shouldn't give up on theatrical. It's just how are you going to approach it? You know, a wide release is not even considered nowadays unless you have a $100 million ad budget. And, you know, that's not our game, but <laughs> 2,000 screens is, is reaching out there. <laughs> I'm going to ask the panel one more question, but you guys be thinking of yours. We're going to come over to you in a minute. Bill, pick that microphone back up, will you? Last year, I was standing on the other side. Some of these people were here, and Cameron was on the screen. And Cameron told the audience that Gravitas acquires somewhere between five and ten films a week. Yeah. And I went, wait a second. I don't even know. Somebody out here was talking. I was like, hey, hang on. Stop. What? <laughs> you guys acquire 250 films a year? Is that pretty that is, accurate? That is correct. That is crazy. How do you keep yes, track of the 250 titles? This is not my question really for hard. the panel, yeah. by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Now talk about the importance of film festivals, because obviously if you're acquiring that many films, that you're not producing all of them or very many of them from what I understand. Talk about the importance of film festivals. You're in a room with people at a film festival. Will you guys all talk about it a little bit? I mean, I can start since I, you know, I worked for a film festival for over 22 years. Um, and, you know, obviously if I stay there for 22 years, I, I believed in the importance of film festivals. Um, and I think that, you know, we're, you know, starting in 2020 when we went virtual and pretty much every other festival had to go virtual, um, it was, it, there was this understanding of like, okay, this is a band-aid. Um, just to get these, you know, arts organizations, most of them nonprofits, uh, through the pandemic, um, and there was a lot of, you know, I left. You know, um, there were a lot of questions about like, what is, what is a festival going to look like in the future? You know, not only, you know, when you think about sitting in a theater, but like, there's so much more to a festival. There's the the, the receptions, there's the parties, there's the panel discussions, there's a lot of talking and shaking hands. Um, and, you know, I think that now on this whatever side of the pandemic that we're on, um, however you want to define it, the festivals are coming back. They are important for films. Um, one, the fact that, you know, a lot of distributors aren't doing any kind of theatrical release. And so that's essentially considered the theatrical release. It helps word of mouth. Um, you find the right audience for your film at the right festival. Um, so it excites, it excites me that festivals are coming back and they're figuring it out and they're, a lot of them are downsizing, you know, not only the scope of the festival uh, as far as number of films, but they acknowledge the fact that they're not going to get the audiences that they used to. But, um, you know, it's, there's just nothing like a festival to see a film and to launch a film. And from a distributor, now you know an acquisitions person and a, at a distributor, our, my point of view for festivals is that you know it is you know ridiculously important. Um, where it's just like you know not only to like I said finding the word of mouth and getting you know finding those audiences, um, but it kind of it serves that itch for a filmmaker to see uh, you know people in a crowd and see their films on a big screen that you know distributors can't fulfill all the time for every film. Who else wants to take that question? Talk about um, I just wanted to make a couple points on that. Um, I mean, everything he said was perfect, um, but. <laughs> Congrats, Bill. It's exactly you what I was thinking. But I just wanted to make a point. Uh, last week I was at Heartland Film Festival in Indianapolis and I was with some filmmakers. You were there? Huh. We moved past each other. And I was with some filmmakers and listening to them talk about being at the festival, it just, I mean, it got them so excited. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, finding the right audience, building that word of mouth. It's so important. And, you know, these filmmakers were talking about, you know, all these industry screenings are doing and, you know, the bigger fe festivals like Telluride, but it was really the smaller ones that they felt were making more of an impact, um, you know, because they would have an audience of just movie lovers who loved film and would ask really great questions here in the Q&A and great conversations. And I think it is finding that right audience, that right festival to build that word of mouth. Um, I think that was, oh, I was gonna say something else, but I can't remember. But. I think, uh, you know, no matter what form festivals have taken, uh, take or will take, 
there's still a showcase for new talent and to foster a film community. So when you have a genre festival like Nightmares or anything you know quite similar, it is a gathering place for horror fans. And it's a gathering place for horror fans to see new stuff that they might not otherwise get a chance to see. And for horror filmmakers to show off new work that you know is you know presented to an audience of their peers essentially. So I think from you know acquisition slash distribution side, we'll probably always consider festivals to be you know what's the next thing coming? Who are the new talents that are on the rise? And we're always scoping those things out. Trust me when I say this. And um, you know like in, just in terms of trying to build a sense of like filmmaking community, marketing community, anything surrounding the films that are on display here or just the you know general vibe of the festival they are still gathering places and they are still you know platforms on which future careers are launched yeah i mean i was going to say that i think every movie that we've made just about has come from someone that we've met at a festival wow right so it's constantly that case i mean scare package alone was created out of we had played a bunch of shorts with a bunch of other short filmmakers, became friends with them, and said, how do I work with these people if I'm directing and they're directing? It's like, oh, well, let's all direct together then. And then all of a sudden, an anthology was born, right? And now we're doing a second and a third. Um, announcement, I guess. But, uh, you know, <laughs> so, so these things Spoiler. are continuing to, to happen. And I think, you know, I think there is something about, you know, and, and these other films that we even have in development are people that I've known at the festival circuit for years and years and years. So I think sometimes we get caught up in you have to network, you know, upward and you have to find someone that's mm -hmm. going to pull me up. But I think there's a lateral networking that happens all the time. And the people that I'm making the most movies with are the people that we sat in audiences watching panels together and we're like, shit, how do I get to that person or how do I figure this out? And now the two of us, have each kind of figured it out on our own, and now we're helping each other. And I think that happens a lot. And I'm not saying there still isn't those opportunities, you know. I want to know about your movies, and you could submit them to Blood Oath and all that. But at the same time, you know, there's just something about the person sitting next to you that you've kind of been through it together, and you're coming up together. Because somebody will get an opportunity, and then that person will give you that opportunity back. And you start forming that as a community, kind of, you know, as what I was saying. So I think there's something that can be really taken from it. And I think these smaller festivals are much more advantageous for for all of us independents. I mean, I found, you know, these big, the Sundance, can these bigger festivals, they're not, you know, Toronto. Those have become studio and agency festivals. And it's, it, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to go there, how, my feelings on agencies and so forth, but. Uh, Just go there. <laughs> <laughs> He'll join in, but uh, I'd much rather come here to Nightmares than I would go to these other ones. So Amen. anyway, I really want to ask lots of follow-up questions, but I want to give the audience a chance first. Does anybody have questions for the panel? Throw your hand up. Yeah, go ahead, Brooklyn. You do have to talk in a microphone. Your voice is so great. Hi guys. So um, I guess I just want to. It's kind of a comment, but also a little bit of a question. With Terrifier 2 coming out and being completely independent and incredible and kind of gives all of us maybe too much hope, um, I just want to say, like, with their marketing being so minimal, the dollars being so minimal, does that give you guys, like, excitement? Or, like, are you like, oh, shit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so 
I know Brandon Hill very well. I know Scott does as well because he used to work. Brandon used to. Brandon is who uh, is the head of acquisitions at Cinedime and Screenbox, and used to work for Scott over at Cranked Up. And I I remember having discussions with Brandon about the acquisition of Terrifier, and I was like, dude, you got to pay for it. You got to do it because you can see this upswell of people that are there and they've waited so long. And I, I do think that is a very unique film and like the, the fandom that's kind of come from that. But the fact that this is after this weekend is probably gonna clear $3 million is unbelievable. And now what that's gonna happen is there's a lot of people who don't understand the horror space who are gonna say, oh, let's make those. And they're gonna try and copycat that and they're gonna fail miserably. And they think that they can put something in 800 theaters and it's gonna work and it's not. Um, but I do think there are opportunities for us to say, hey, what is that film as producers and as, uh, as you know, and as others that acquisitions and distribution to say, what are ways that we can tap into that audience? Because there's clearly people who are saying, I want something a little different, maybe a little raw, maybe a little more in your face. And there's an audience for that. So now that's for us to kind of think about what that means in a smart way. Um, and, and possibly even a more progressive way. Not that I'm saying Terrifier is not. I'm just saying, yeah, I think there's opportunities even within that space. But uh, I'm just worried about the copycats that are going to come now that have no clue what Damien was doing and, and are going to really, really mess that up. But we'll see. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I, I've been hearing all the hype on this film and I'd never seen Terrifier. So last night at about midnight, I started Terrifier and watched it and you know they are the clown is a creepy dude it's a great creepy film but you know you're right if it's if they people want to start copycatting that i'm not talk to brandon just to see how all you know the hype is coming from their own pr i'm seeing uh articles that are uh critics that are Cynodyme's critics, one of their under their company labels. So I'm, I kind of want to find out what the what the whole story is because you can't just run out now. Oh my God, this film made three million dollars. Let's make one similar to it. It's going to make four million. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You know, the uniqueness of it is really where I think if people are making unique, you know, as filmmakers, come up with some unique ideas. That's what's going to work. You know, we've seen a lot of the same things over and over and over, and then we wonder why they don't work. We gotta come up with unique. Terrifier 2 on screen now at Gateway Film Center. <laughs> uh, yeah, time for an exorcism. Um, first of all, I hated Terrifier 2. Uh, uh, and, yeah, blessed be the fruit. Um, and, so my, my question would be, so I think as an independent filmmaker, I'm kind of like in a double bind with you guys. On the one hand, I mean, like, I have a very strange case study that I made a film, like a feature film for 25K that premiered at Fantastic Fest last, week, uh, last year, and nobody believed in it, and suddenly I ended up having like a two-week theatrical release in the US, and it's on streamers now. So, but I mean, I did not see that happen, and nobody saw it happen, and actually nobody really believed in it, but it happened. So I'm kind of happy about that. But at the same time, my, my problem is also just like going forward with other projects that I'm doing. I have the feeling that on the one hand, especially independent filmmakers being taught, do something edgy, do something that has never been done before, but don't do it so much as, you know, it's just like, it is hard, you know, like on the one end, you know, like, I can think of a lot of shit that has not been done before, yeah? but will anyone want to see that or will you want to distribute it? That's the question. So, <laughs> so I'm spitting that out. Okay. Do you want me to restate the question? 
I hate the world. I think the question was, what are you looking for when you're uh, thinking of acquiring a film? How edgy can you go? You're welcome. That's actually how I took that, that, that Good. too. Because my answer would have been, and still is, where you know people would ask me all the time, especially at the film festival, I, and I, I guess I'm just a glutton for a punishment. Cleveland was a ridiculously huge festival too. We played over 200 film, feature films in a week and 250 short films. Um, but it was almost like a, you know it when you see it. Like, I mean, I would get that question all the time. And when I was programming the festi festival, I had people like you in my mind. As I was at other festivals, or I was sitting at home watching a screener, I'd be like, this will work for that person, and this will work for that person. And I think like turning that around now on the acquisition side, looking at the, the breadth of Gravitas' releases and looking at other distributors' releases and wh what's happening, um, that's how I spend my weekends. I look at the competition, and then I spend the week doing my work. Um, but you know, you you know when you see it, and you can figure you, you you have to feel it somehow, and it, so it's undefinable. Um, so just keep doing what you do. You know, somebody will somebody else will appreciate it and understand it and agree with it. And so every once in a while, it's only one person. Sometimes it's millions. So it's. Do what you do. And I'm a firm believer that every film has an audience. It's just a matter of finding that audience. And, you know, we love working with filmmakers to see what their thoughts on or what they think their audience is and so forth. And we'll do what we need to do to, to get it to that audience. If you want it in a theater, we can always get a film in a theater. You know, it just depends on, you know, what kind of returns you're looking for. But every film has an audience. And I think, you know, the important thing for creatives to keep in mind, too, is every year there's always a new trend in, you know, like the business side of things. Like, oh, we need a star. We need followers on social media. We need this, that, or the other. If you're a creative, don't let that muddy your vision. Because really, at the end of the day, it's uniqueness. It's, you know, the impact that the film itself will have. As was stated previously, like, you know, and we can echo it all day long. If it's good and if it's unique, there's an audience for it. And the audience will find it. And we will help you find the audience for it. But, the, you know, like, do not get bogged down in trying to make it something that you don't want it to be for the sake of sellability. Because that'll just make it worse. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, every, a lot of people here are filmmakers, right? So, like, just... Would I like that? Like, ask yourself that question. Is this a movie that I want to see? Because if you're not, like, this is something I'm, I'm dying to see, then you probably shouldn't make it, right? And if you're trying to make it for someone else, then you're already failing. You should be making it for yourself. And that's where the derivative terrifier movies are gonna come in, right? So if that's the thing you love, then go make what you love. Um, you know, we take a lot of pride in, other than a couple pandemic-specific unfortunate situations, We've never lost money on a movie, and and but but the way we approach that is, you know, I had a very deeply personal story I wanted to tell about my father, and my brother, and and some you know familial problems that we had, and I was like, well, nobody's gonna want me to let me tell that story. So then I added in cowboys and witches, and it became the Pale Door, and now and then that movie was was a big hit for us. So it's like you just gotta find a way, find an approach that allows you to tell that personal story with something that is unique. That's like I haven't seen that done before. Then once you have that combination and you're like, I don't, because when we made Scare Package, I was like, I don't know who's gonna like this, but it makes me laugh, you know? And now people have tattoos of it, you know? And it's like, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's a thing. So just start with what you like. If you're a cinephile, then you know the movies that, that really excite you. Start there and I guarantee you there's a crowd that looks at it the exact same way. 
That's a great answer. Yeah, go ahead. Hi. So you guys started talking about returns, and that kind of opens it up to this question I have for you. So if you want to be a filmmaker that is morally uh, responsible for their investors, right, which I do, uh, I'm trying to make my first feature. I've got you know a couple options in, as to what I could go towards. I guess the the question that I know is going to have a thousand variables, but what is the budget range you should be looking at? Let's let's assume that none of us have access to stars or any of that kind of crap that we that you know because if we did, then that question all becomes easier. But if you're going to make a movie with no stars, where do you aim and figure that you can actually get your money back on a, on distribution? The least amount possible. Yeah, obviously. I know, I'm, yeah. And I hate yeah, to I mean, be, yeah. I'm not trying to be an, like yeah. an asshole about that. I'm looking for like a ceiling, you know? I, it, well, if it's scary, if it's genuine, and look, these, these folks can talk about this more. If it's genuinely scary, you don't have to have stars. That's a great thing about horror. You don't have to have stars for horror to sell. But if you do have them, it's going to go a long way. So, you know, we're constantly pitched movies, like all the time. I'm getting pitched right now. Somebody is emailing me at this moment that I don't know with a really bad pitch, probably. No offense. And, and I'm going to look at that. I'm going to say, okay, they don't have stars. We do have this. What's the least amount we can make it for that makes it viable, right? So, again, we've made $2.5 million movies. We're making a $4 million movie, you know, in February. And we've also made, I mean, a movie for $200,000, you know? So it just depends on what that is. I think you need to find a smart producer to partner with that has sold movies in the marketplace a lot that can say, you need to make it for this amount of money. Because that's actually what happens a lot. We get pitched a lot and, and I'll say, look, I understand you wanna make this for 1.5 million, but it's not gonna go anywhere, it's not gonna sell. You need to make it for 350,000. And then they're like, oh, screw you. And I'm like, okay, good luck. you know. And then maybe you do make it for 1.5 million, good for you, that's amazing. Now, that because you have a creative duty and a fiduciary duty, as you said. And if you don't fulfill that fiduciary duty, those people will not give you your money again. The real secret to making a lot of movies and why we've made 20 films is you just get the money back to the people who've made it before. So that's the right question to ask, but find the right producer that can help you gauge it because there's not a real answer. I mean, and they can, they can chime in, but I, there's not a real answer for if that. If this is your first film, 1.5 is way too much. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the guy over at Full Moon, I can't remember his name. Um, yeah, one year he told me I was AAFM and... Uh, and you know he cranks those things out and he's like if you're making films for over eighty thousand dollars you'll never make any money i don't know if that's right or wrong but you know what the guy's making films left and right it's wrong i'll be here <laughs> we only have about five or six minutes left and we have three questions so let's try real quick to get through these three uh, go ahead i'm uh, sorry uh, I, well, I'm from from Mexico. Uh, sometimes there are movies that I'm not able to see only uh, Mexican movies or Latin American movies only in film festivals, or um, sometimes uh, they are distributed in US as DVD and Blu-rays. So I buy buy them. Uh, I want it's like two questions. Uh, what is the status to the physical media to, for this kind of releases, and what's the the, the importance? To, uh, that filmmakers, when they get this kind of deals, to to make all the noise possible on their own media. Physical media. Talk about that first. Uh, so obviously, you know, physical media in general as a mass product is on the decline. But you know, we're also seeing uh, sort of boutique labels still being able to put out you know, really great releases of films on physical media. And, it, you know, it's basically for a collector's market. And they really do well on, in, 
on physical media for the because it's so targeted to that audience. And I think you know, similar to what we were saying before, like trying to find the audience for any given movie, any given genre. You know, if you if you put it there and you target it correctly. Um, it will find its audience. So you could always justify a physical media release even today, even as a small run or a boutique run, because you know that there will be an audience who will pay for it and buy it. And to your second point, um, the filmmaker's responsibility for um, promoting it, et cetera, as much as you can, as often as you can, all the time. <laughs> I doubt anyone on the panel is going to disagree with that point. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, we've seen a shift in what puts butts in seats from studio movies in the past few years. It used to be you could put two beautiful people who had name recognition in a movie and it didn't matter what it was, it would make a lot of money. Um, now it seems like the MCU, Star Wars, it's all franchises, and then The Last Duel and Amsterdam and like cast-led things are kind of flopping and like people aren't coming out to see them unless they're franchise properties. Um, on the independent side, I still feel like there's kind of a push for all of us to have like a star. Um, I have something that kind of has like the franchise stuff. My, my current movie is a sequel to an existing film. So I have the franchise stuff, but I still don't have like the B-list or you know A-list or C-list star. <laughs> um, so kind of what are your thoughts on that in terms of like, are, are, are you guys looking at franchise potential as well? Or are you still kind of looking for the name? You still want to lead with like the, the recognizable actors and crew? This is, I think, more for them, but I want to, I know we keep, like the conversation comes up a lot about having the star, which we talked about this a little bit ago, or that A, B list um, actor in your movie, but it made me think of something I saw recently, I have no idea what movie it was, um, but I remember watching it thinking, this actress is incredible, like who is she? And she was young, I went on IMDb, and this was her first feature film. And I just felt like it was more about the story and like we've been talking about, you know, finding that audience and connecting. And this movie is being released by a major studio, it might be like Prime Video, I'm not really sure. But the point is, is that I don't feel like it always needs to be that star that these studios or distributors are looking at. And I think the less, the focus needs to be more on that, on the storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I will say I think where it still really plays a big piece is in the international sales model, right? So if you're trying to get financing for your film, there is an archaic look of these types of like 45-year-old men that are gruff and doing shit that is going to matter to international markets that if you can get them in for a certain amount of time, you know, that can actually help you. So there is an opportunity there. But if you're talking about a true genre film, you know, make it as low budget as you can, make it scary, make it interesting, make it fresh. And I think there's an opportunity there that, you know, these wonderful folks would definitely take a chance on. And when we're looking to finance ourselves, like for different films, like independently, it's like, you know, we're looking at how that plays in the international space too. So, you know, but some recognizability is good. It doesn't even have to be a big star. I think that just even a little something can give you just a little platform to stand on that's like, oh, I remember that person. It just kind of separates you a little bit from the crowd. So that can also help too. <laughs> one more quick question. We got about one minute. Cool. Um, we've talked obviously a lot about like money. Wonderful. Uh, as creative producers, people that are producing content, not just distributing it. Where do you get like your artistic fulfillment? Would you mind just talking about kind of that side of things, like that little piece of the process for you? 
talk about fulfillment artistically. Well, I feel like I was talking a lot, but Go okay. Uh, as a creative producer, you know, I think I, we're making things that we just want to see made, you know, and, and uh, people that I love. I mean, honestly, like it's like I'll, I'll have someone who's a friend and I see their passion about it and I'm like, wow, I just, I want to help you get that made. You know, we just made a film with Emily Higgins. Uh, who you know made her first feature when she was 12 years old, and everybody still looks at her as a child. You know that's there, and they're like, "Oh, that's the child filmmaker." And she would tell me these stories, and she's this amazing writer. And I remember being at you know places in Austin, and we're hanging out, and she's like, "I just can't get this movie made." I'm like, "You can't get this movie made? What are we talking about?" And I said, "Can I help you?" And she's like, "Oh my God, please! I didn't want to pitch you." And I'm like, "No, you should have pitched me. I wanted to know this." And then you know we got that movie made. It's called Sorry About the Demon. It's coming out in January, and. You know, and that was one of those things where it was just a person that I wanted to work with and I, I cared about, you know. So there are also people that I know that I don't want to work with. And, and that happens, too. So I think creatively and what really drives me is like, are we giving opportunities to someone? Am I working with people that I want to be around, you know, that you care about? And then are we telling something new? Like, have I seen that before? Does that feel different? And again, I, the word fresh sounds so cheesy, but it's really, really true, at least from what we do at Paper Street Pictures and Cameron Burns, my, my you know, co-producer with everything too. It's just finding things that feel different and have a perspective that maybe aren't our own. You know, that it's a story that, and that's another thing. If, if Cameron and I as writers, if we can write it, we'll probably write it. But if it's a story that we can't write, that's exciting. And it's like, ooh, I don't even know what that's like. I don't even know what that perspective is. Let me dive into that. That's really, really cool, and that's really interesting, and that's what excites me. And I agree that uh, fresh and unique are two key components in independent filmmaking. So remember those two words. Anybody uh, I mean, else? For, for me, it's 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 pulling together all uh, so many different ideas. You know, like when I was you know programming the festival, it was curation, and I view acquisitions the same way. Where it's now, I get to like essentially program twelve mini film festivals uh, you know, a year in our monthly slate. And all of those filmmakers have different stories, different points of view, and it just makes me personally a better person um, being part of that. Okay, real quick, we have like 30 seconds. Starting with Wyatt, just tell the audience what you have coming out next or what you're working on, what you're about to release. One film, that means you, Bill. Uh, we actually have a bunch of uh, new titles coming out in 2023. Our latest actually is Symphony, which just premiered here uh, a couple nights ago. Congrats. So that is now, thank you, thank you. That is now released, and we are uh, going to be ramping back up in with releases in January. So be on the lookout in the first part of the year. I can't talk about any of them just yet, but they're all <laughs> awesome. Aaron? Uh, yeah, so we have Revealer that's out now on Shutter. We have Scare Package 2 that's coming out in December. We have Old Man that just released last week with Stephen Lang that Lucky McKee directed. Uh, that's in theaters now. It was actually playing here at it one was. point. Thank you very much, Chris. You're welcome. Uh, and then in November, we have uh, Blood Relatives. That's Noah Segan's directorial debut uh, with Victoria Morales, which is wonderful. Uh, and then in January, we have Sorry About the Demon that I discussed. And then... We move on, and uh, my next directorial film uh, I'm, I'm directing, we start in March, and then we, we have a TV show that we're starting um, after that in awesome. the summer. All right, Bill. We just released The Inhabitant a couple of weeks ago on over 100 screens. It's now available on all the TVOT services. It's uh, the story of a descendant of Lizzie Borden. Nice. Cicely, what are you working on? So the genre films I have that I'm working on, I mentioned Bones and All um, opening 
uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I think that's the 23rd. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I'm super excited to see it. Um, also, a uh, prime video release this month is Run, Sweetheart Run. It's awesome. It's so good. So I recommend watching that. Um, and at Prime Video also has Nanny coming out end of December. Did you see Nanny? Yeah, I saw it. It's playing. It's going to play here at Thanksgiving. So yeah. So there's a few you know genre that are coming out streaming theatrical. Uh, we have uh, we have a lot of films that are coming out here shortly. Uh, genre Rise we just released after she died. Uh, we released another one that was a drama called Carmen with Natasha McElhone. Um, it, it went theatrically, it was doing very well. It's still in some theaters, and it's on TVOT also. And then we're also in production on our trilogy, as I said before, it's called Fresh Hell. And they're right in the, if you wanna hear more about it, Phil would be love to talk to you about it. Um, but we're right in the middle of the, the second film for production. The uh, third one will start a few days after this one finishes. And then, we will be, we have another three lined up for next year. And, uh, you know, our goal is to be producing films along with distributing on a consistent basis. So how about a round of applause for this panel? Thank you guys for being here. We really appreciate it. As Jay, you know, Jason and I, you've heard us talk. We really, really believe that you're in a community. So meet these people after the panel. I'm sure you have more questions. They'll probably all be in the lounge after this, right? I said probably as a kind of a joke. They'll all be in the lounge after this. Go buy them something to drink. And thank you for coming to the new distribution. Okay, so thank you to Chris Hamill and all the great panelists for the new distribution panel. Looking ahead, well, Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio, we're going to be right back. As, as we tape this, we're going to be right back this coming Friday night for our next edition of Fright Club Live. That's right. On November 11th, we are going to talk about conjurings gone wrong. And I'm just going to give you a hint. George is going to be really unhappy about one of the choices that yeah, made but the final list. Conflict. conflict. Conflict is great for the podcast, right? And then we're going to watch the movie Deathgasm, which is so much fun. It's yeah. super fun, and it'll be an exciting uh, thing to watch with a big group of people, yeah. I think. No conflict there. So if you're in the area, please make it. That is Friday, November 11th, our next edition of Fright Club Live. Uh, Hope you enjoyed this panel, the new distribution. Please, if you have any questions, any comments, you know you can always get a hold of us uh, easily on Twitter. You can find us at Fright Club Pod. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, we can check out all of our movie stuff, is at madwolf.com. So we hope you will keep in touch. We'll be back with another edition of Fright Club Podcast next week. And until then, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And as always... Hi, this is Ben Young, director of Hounds of Love. Stay frightful, my friends.